0: So I just wanted to mention before we begin that uh, I was hit with a whole bunch of questions after last week's service. So you did well, good and faithful servants. You uh, you uh, took my request to heart to uh, please feel free to bring those questions. And honestly, uh, I was encouraged. Like I went home and I was thinking through some of the stuff I was asked and just to be pondering and thinking through the message we just went through as it carries into the week. Um, I don't know if you were encouraged, but I was encouraged as your pastor. So um, That being said, I, there was a couple of things because of that that we we're going to come back to. But uh, today's passage is going to overlap with last week's passage. You can, In some way, it could be a part two to what we did last week. Uh, but today, we're going to be looking at Matthew 24 specifically verses 45 to 51 so if you turn your bibles to matthew chapter 24 again our text will be verse 45 to 51 but just to back up and give us a little bit more context i'm going to begin in verse 32 so please stand with me for the reading of the word of god Beginning with verse 32, these are the words of Christ our Lord. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. The two women, uh, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set over him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him And at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of Christ. You may be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift. For the insight, for the instruction, for the power of your word, we pray that your spirit would help us to understand its message, that you would help us to apply it. Help me to to teach this passage in a way that can be applied, Lord, and that each and every individual, that your spirit would be directing each one as to how it can be applied to to their own circumstances, to the place... place where you've called them and placed them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking uh, through how to bring some further clarity to why I believe Jesus transitions from talking about the coming of judgment upon the Jews and the destruction of the temple up until verse 35, and then all of a sudden turns in the verse, in verse 36, towards speaking of his second coming at the end of history to judge the world, right? Like, why, why make that shift? Uh, some of you, you might not be bothered by that. Some of you, you might have been thinking, yeah, I've, I've been saying this is all about the future. Some of, right? and, and, but, and some of you, you're, trying, you're wondering, how, how, why? why? Why go from, you know, this happened in 70, AD 70 to now, all of a sudden, in verse 36, we're saying this is all future, uh, I, sought to, I, I sought to communicate and wanted to, again, reiterate the importance of holding the elements of the last things, right? Of eschatology, which, which really refers from the ascension of Christ to, to, his re- to, to when he returns. Uh, so when we're talking the last things, we're talking about uh, of Christ's ascension, everything after that until he comes again. Uh, that we hold these elements with a cheerful degree of humility, right? And I, I, I've been saying that all along, but just again to remind us, uh, I came across a note this past week that Augustine, one of the greatest minds in the history of the church, once speaking of the details surrounding the coming of Christ, but he was talking about Th- Second Thessalonians chapter two, but he's, he's talking—it's talking about the coming of Christ—and this is what he said. He said, "I frankly confess." I do not know what he means. And, and just to acknowledge that, that, that's, that we're going to come to those passages and there's going to be times when we need to kind of make a, a call so that we can make sense of what is, what is said after. But that in doing so, again, that there's a degree of humility in light of not only our own limitations, but when we consider the limitations of those who've gone before us as well and, and the humility they demonstrate. So again, I I don't want to, uh, what I realized I should have done is uh, is really brought clarity to this transition. That should have been all one message last week, and then go through Christ's illustration uh, that he gives of of his coming, being like a thief in the night and being ready. That should have been this part, but what I've ended up doing is doing uh, a bit of both in each message, and so that's what we're going to do. I don't want to overdo the point, but I also want to be careful that I don't leave any of you behind as we advance throughout the remainder of the Olivet Discourse together. And so, uh, why I've taken such care to explain uh, why verses 4 to 35 is in reference to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 80-70, and then suggest in verse 36 onward, That he is speaking of the second bodily coming of Christ. To do that without getting buried. In all the possible implications of various interpretations. The short answer is this. Why do I do that? Because. This has all been prompted. This whole discourse. Has been prompted. By the disciples question in verse 3. Tell us. When will these things be? And secondly, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Everything that Jesus is saying is an answer to that question. So I I, I thought, again, maybe I'm overdoing this, but I'm going to pick on uh, Reuben because I always like to ask Reuben when the last day of school is. And he's always excited to tell me when that last day is. So he's a man after my own heart in that regard. (laughs) Right, if I were to ask Ruben, or any, I mean, and it doesn't really work with the homeschoolers, because you're, you don't know when your last day, you don't have a last day. Uh, yes, no, we, some, some of us do. So let's, let's stick on Ruben. If I were to say, when's your last day of school? And I'm just going to guess, because you, you probably don't know right now, do you? Okay, so you, you're, you're almost there. Um, and he answered, June 24th but concerning that date I'd have to ask my teacher so okay so I you, you hear me say when's your last day of school he answers june 24th but concerning that date I'd have to ask my teacher you'd be thinking right okay so so he's pretty confident when it, when it will be but he needs to confirm that specific day uh, first before making that his final you know confident answer that's that, that would be a reasonable Assumption or, or interpretation of what, what he's saying. But if you then heard me... like I, So I take that his response. The 24th, he needs to confirm with his teacher. But then you heard me go and say to somebody else, Ruben's last day of school is on the 24th. But he doesn't know when his graduation date is yet. You'd be scratching your head trying to figure out how in the world did I get from the last day of school... To determining that the graduation day is, is unknown in that picture. But the confusion would be resolved if you overheard that I didn't just ask Ruben, when's your last day of school? But if you paid enough attention, you would have, would have also heard me ask, not when's your last day of school, and what will be your graduation, uh, what will be the day of your graduation ceremony? And so when he responds and says the twenty fourth, that concerning that date I have to ask the teacher. Now it all makes sense. Now it's all resolved. That's what. That's the reason for the two pronged answer. The disciples ask Jesus when the temple will be destroyed, as he just said it would in, in, chapter, in verse one to two. He prophesies, and then secondly they ask what will be, what sign would accompany his coming to judge the world at the end of the age? And again. And some people, that's where they we, we differ on interpretation. It's right there. Some will say he's not talking about the end of the age you're talking about. I, I just will go ahead and say that he's talking about the end of the age. The same phrase that Jesus refers to at the conclusion of the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, in the same book, and at the end of verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so it's the same word. So that's... So they're asking about the end of the age, but they are also asking about the end of the temple. And so Jesus answers both of those questions. It seems to the disciples, based on their question, that they assume that the destruction of the temple must be simultaneous with the end of, of the world as they knew it. right? And, that, and we've, we've gone over that. They just put those together and we can give them a little grace in why, why they might see that it's an understandable assumption but an incorrect assumption nonetheless as i have argued that the details and structure of jesus response reveals so last week i highlighted the difference between the detailed local trajectory of the language of verses 30 of verses 4 to 35 compared to the more general and universal trajectory of verse verses 36 to the end of Matthew uh, chapter 25 to the end of this discourse. But before we even begin our, our, began our study, and that's why maybe it would be, I started off this way, and so it, I, I thought I need to just remind you and bring you back to where we began. Before I jumped into verse 4, I compared... Uh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Before before we began our study of the discourse, I explained how verse 34 is the foundational interpretive key to understanding Christ's twofold response to the disciples' question, to understanding why, where the transition happens. Truly, I say to you, verse 34, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Until all these things take place, um, so I—why am I confident that everything up until that point has already taken place within that generation? Because of that verse saying, "Until all these things take place," so I hold that with much, a lot more confidence than I do with everything that comes after. because i believe this verse plainly states that to be the case and i believe it requires it to be so that at, so at, just following me to this point that's up until verse 34 35 just clenches it up until verse 34 uh, that he's saying this generation is going to see it all and it is stated with such clarity which I'm not going to go over again, but again, you can go back to those messages. It is stated with such clarity so as to guard against any tampering or any twisting of what he has said, and thereby that could make us vulnerable to being led astray by false claims of referring to, to Christ's coming and judgment upon Jerusalem and the temple elsewhere in history or in the future. That, that it's it just it said everything about it. Is, is is given as plainly and bluntly as, as we could ask to understand its meaning. And verse 35 just powerfully reiterates the divine certainty of what he's just said. But then Jesus moves from the clear and imminent time frame, again, of all these things, in verse 34, to the unknown Time frame in verse 36, but concerning that day and hour. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Uh, so the phrase, first of all, the, the phrase "but concerning" is the most common and straightforward way in the Greek to change the topic. There, there's, there's, it, uh, we could look at examples in the Greek that this is the most. Just common use phrase to say, we're talking about this now. Now on to this. That that's that's the the word that would be used. But concerning or now concerning. If he was and, and further, if he was referring to all these same events described so far, right? If, if that was his intention in moving forward, just he's going to continue with what he's been describing so far. I would expect him to say. And, so not but, but and, concerning this day and hour. Like this and these are both the near demonstrative. This is the singular, these is the plural. So he's referring to, if he he was still talking about these things, all these things, I would expect him to say, and concerning this day and hour that we're talking about. But instead, he uses the far demonstrative, that, because he is referring to that day and hour about which the disciples asked, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And it is that day to which our text is instructing and preparing us for, which I believe is in harmony with how the rest of Scripture instructs us concerning the bodily return of Christ at the end of the age to judge the living and the dead. So this is further confirmed by, and this is why I wanted us to read the commentary, the inspired commentary of the Apostle Paul provided to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4-5. to I'm not going to go over it again with you, but we we read there of how Paul is speaking of the coming of our Lord, which contextually in chapter 4 is in reference to the time Timing of the resurrection, ensuring the believers in Thessalonica, that, that those who've fallen asleep, waiting for the Lord's coming, that they're not going to miss out. And then we have in verse five, in chapter 5, he says, Concerning the, the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While, they are, while people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are children of light, children of day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Again, you you can hear it's impossible not to hear the same notes that Jesus is hitting in his in his message to his disciples. Especially in verse 42, right? Where he says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming, but know this, if the master of the house had known at what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So that's, again, just a little further clarity and commentary on why I take... Um, the, the, the route that I do, but again, as I introduce this, uh, I am by no means the authority or uh, the. the, the uh, I, I by no means am claiming that I am the final say on how this is all understood and will, will be unfolded, has unfolded and will unfold um, in time to come. So now we're just going to basically, I'm going to abruptly bring us into this last little portion of, of Matthew chapter 24. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to keep it simple today because Jesus is just going to illustrate, he's going to illustrate this point again next week. And then he's going to illustrate it even further in a different way in the following week. Uh, and then another way in the week after that. And so there's going to be plenty of opportunity to, to go over this theme uh, over the next few weeks as he speaks of the coming uh, of Christ at the end of history. Last week, the, uh, the, the emphasis of verse 36 to, 30, uh, to 44 fell upon the urgency that we ought to have in association with the unexpected timing of Christ's return at the end of the age, it was it was upon, uh, just like a thief in the night, right? And the need to be ready for him to come at any moment, to not presume upon tomorrow, right? Don't don't wait to be reconciled to reconcile your accounts with God or with your neighbor, presuming that you'll have another day. He could come now. He could come at this moment. So the, so there was a sense of urgency in what is being said in regards to the the fact of his coming being unknown because the son of man he said is coming at an hour you do not expect verse 44 but the concluding illustration in verses 44 to 51 again it is it clearly goes hand in hand with, with what Jesus is saying shouldn't it didn't he he doesn't intend to break these two parts up but the concluding illustration in verse 44 to 51 applies the same principle of the unknown day or hour to the possibility that this could also mean that the day may not arrive for years and generations and generations to come Um, and, and give the appearance of being delayed in his coming. Hence, there is not only a need and a call for urgency and readiness right now at this moment, but there is also in this passage a call for endurance and perseverance, right? The fact that you don't, and usually we do this with the, when we're talking about the unexpected day of his coming, and it ought to give us a sense of urgency. <laughs> like, are, am I ready to meet the Lord right now? But I think something we often miss in what this passage points us to is it also means that we hold that day in such a degree of humility that, we, that he could come 2,000 years from now. And that we live today in light of that fact that we don't know if he's coming today, and he might come in generations to come. And therefore, how do we live faithfully today in a way that, that holds that, that, that in, in, in balance with, with the, the, the urgent and the longevity in the same hand? Who then, verse 45, is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? This is mundane stuff he's talking about. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Of course, on the contrast, and this contrast is going to be given in the the following parables to come as well. But in verse 48, but if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour that he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a, again, the, the, There's a tension here and a balancing out the call uh, of urgency to be faithful today in light of the reality of eternity and the judgment to come. A balance must be struck between what it means to live faithfully in the realm of what can be known about today, about this moment that the Lord has given you here and now with living every day in light of eternity as if it were your last day. Right? So, so while the rich young ruler, who is enslaved to the idol of riches, which is going to drag him to the pit of hell, ought to and would be better off selling all of his possessions, right? Giving it all away, cutting off the idol so that he could be set free and follow Christ and gain an eternal reward, inheritance. So Paul also has to say, on the other hand, in 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 8, that if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. Right? We're holding, give everything you have away, and, and, and you know, follow Christ. And, we, have, and we, we, but we also have this instruction, like, you have responsibilities, and you have duties before God that you need to tend to here on earth. We have to hold these in tension. So the idea of being ready at any moment because Christ will come at an hour that you don't, know, that you don't expect, yes, it ought to provoke urgency in relationship, especially to unconfessed and unforgiven sins which you refuse to surrender at the foot of, of the cross. Right? Don't, don't mess around with a burdened conscience, right? Don't delay. Don't, don't play the I'm being, I'm being wise and cautious and patient when it comes to known sin in your life, <laughs> right? Be urgent about that. The Lord could come at any moment. And, and again, when we think of the Lord's coming, y- yes, here he's, he's talking about, I believe, is when he comes and the, and the dead will be raised to life, but there's always a sense in which the principle can be applied to the fact that, that, that we don't know when, when, our, when we're going to see him face to face. right? That, that, our, that our coming to him could be a lot sooner than his coming to us. This is, this is the same unknown, uncertainty about it. And so there ought to be an urgency. There ought to be, when, it, when we're dealing with uh, unconfessed sin, undealt with, unrepentant sin in our life... We, ought to, we should, ought to not play games. But it should also inspire, it must also, he's saying, inspire longevity and grit and enduring faithfulness in your daily and weekly and yearly service of your eternal king, regardless of how mundane and un- un- unnoticed and how un- seemingly ending that service may seem to be. As I pointed out, who then is, in verse 45, the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Right? It's just a broad principle of just the mundane tasks and duties that the servant is given as a steward of the house. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes Truly I say to you, he will set over him all his possessions. We ought to be less concerned about timing. I feel like sometimes we're just thinking, when, we, when we're talking about being ready for his coming and just getting, getting all our ducks in a row, it's like, okay, I just, so maybe if I just... Um, <laughs> If I time my, my Bible study habits, right? My quiet time. If, if the Lord, if I could just set it all up so that when the Lord comes, he, he catches me in my chair in the morning with my coffee and my Bible and my prayer time. That, that's what we're after here. That's what he wants. Right? That's what we, we need to be looking for. Like the disciples in Acts chapter one, when they're gazing up endlessly into the sky in anticipation of his return, right? That's, that's kind of the, the image I think sometimes we have that, it, that to be expectant and, and eager to, for his return. That's what that's what you got to be doing. Just be sitting there in prayer, right, quietly waiting for him to come. And the angel says, what are you doing? Like, get to work. He's going to come. You don't like uh, he's going to come the same way he left. Rather we ought to gear our Bible reading towards believing, directing, and sanctifying our hourly and daily obedience to Christ with the gifts, with the people, with the duties that he has entrusted to you and called you to on earth for the sake of his kingdom. So we we are, you, you are not to concern yourselves with displaying the appearance of being ready for his kingdom, right? Like the same way we do, I mean, and I get it to a degree, but the same way that we'll, if our house is a mess and we'll throw all our stuff in the closet, like we have company coming over and so then everything gets thrown into like the places where nobody's going to look, kind of getting ready. That's not, that's exactly the opposite of what this is calling for talking about daily faithfulness, picking up after yourself once, once that mess is on the floor, dealing with it right then and there. And, right? and, and as you have time and as the day goes on, just chipping away one, one task at a time, one unconfessed sin at a time. Right? Some of us, you're like we get overwhelmed. and We're like, I don't, honestly, I'm so sinful, I don't know where to be- begin. Start with the first thing that comes to mind and then walk through it as Scripture instructs you to. Right? We might need to go back to Matthew 18, I think, at some point here. And the blueprint that Christ gives us for how we go about uh, confessing our sin and seeking reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. One act of faithfulness at a time. We are not to concern ourselves with Again, displaying the appearance of being ready for his kingdom, but of keeping our hand to the plow. This, our concern ought to be in keeping our hand to the plow in the fields that he has called you to in hopeful anticipation of his coming. Right? That, that A, he could come at this very moment. And so you want want him to see you at work doing the thing he's called you to do. But B, that he could come a thousand years from now and so you want to cultivate and till this land and make it grow and make it turn into this glorious kingdom so that it's ready for him when he comes, right? That however much time he gives you, that you're going to do the most with it. You're going to be as faithful as you can with whatever time you're given. Whatever resources you're given. The par- and the parable of the talents is, again, it's, it's going to expand on this and, and really hit that point home as well. I heard somewhere, uh, that, that so I don't know how, whether this is just like hearsay or not, uh, but, but that Luther, Martin Luther, the reformer, was once asked, if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow... What would you do today? If you knew the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do today? Luther responded, I would plant a tree. Now, he wasn't alive during the time of the climate change cult. Uh, and, right, like he, we, our mind goes somewhere else when, when, when they're saying that. He, he's talking about uh, right, the call to plant the seeds. And to for God to produce the growth, right? In faith and anticipation that God will grow it and bless it. Depending on when and where you start started your work, walk with Christ, in your marriage, or in your education, or your career, in your parenting, right? You you might not have a full grown tree to present to Christ if he were to come today or next week, right? Like, like you might not have it all trimmed and ready to go like we would all love to have to present to him. But what will he find you doing with what he has already given you when he comes? Right? With what you all ready have at this point what will he find you what will he find you at work doing may you not presume upon his grace the longer his coming is delayed and be found using and abusing his gifts and the time he's entrusted to you and again I, I don't belabor this point because we're going to come back to it to, to the consequence and the the, the downward spiral uh, that basically of that backsliding is is presented here as and its deadly consequences its eternal consequences cuz we're going to get another opportunity to, to come to that so may we not be those wicked servants who, preserve, who presume upon his delay you know there and and just and take, um, take advantage of God's grace and his patience. Rather, may you be found laboring in his fields of grace, trusting in the Lord's power and growth and blessing uh, in his time and in his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word instructs us, uh, that your word convicts us, that it, it, it makes us wiser than we, we are in our own, if, when we were left to ourself, uh, especially when we're young, uh, and, and we, um, we, can, we can live. We, we, there is this tendency... To live our lives thinking that we're immortal. To, to live our lives thinking that uh, dispresuming upon the grace of tomorrow. And, uh, and so Lord, we thank you for, for this warning, for this exhortation that is given by Christ. May it, give, may it grant that sense of urgency by your spirit in the hearts of those. Maybe they don't even know what that sin is, but they know that they are not at peace with you. That, that, there is, that there is a wall, that there is a division that stands between them and you, Lord. I pray that they would do what is necessary, that they would speak to whatever is necessary, that they would have a, such a sense of urgency and a need to, be, that, to, to have their sin forgiven and dealt with in Christ, uh, that, uh, that, they would, that, that what Christ did on the cross would be applied to them, and may it also, Lord. May may your may your word here give grace to those who have grown weary, who have grown weary in, in the battle and and uh, and who can who can identify with that cry, uh, "How long, O oh Lord?" Lord, may you breathe. Uh, a fresh grace and the strength on those uh, to to continue the work, knowing that uh, each each new day is a time is a blessing and an opportunity uh, for the gospel to redeem uh, what has been broken in our lives and in the world around us, and that um, we would give ourselves to your work in faith, that not not uh, based on. a a certain timeline that we have an expectation. But Lord, help us to trust your timeline. Help us to trust uh, your sovereign will that we might give ourselves to the work you've given us joyfully, cheerfully, um, and effectively. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.